Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jerry Petito Show on Remember Then Radio. Here we go, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Petito. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. And in time, this too shall pass. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. Jerry Petito taught the class. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. Loves the answer, the greener grass. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. One day at a time, free at last. When you don't know just what to do. Just what to do, just what to do. If what you're feeling is really true. It's really true. Really true. Just keep your ideas safe and sound. Safe and sound, safe and sound. That's exactly how change is found. Change is found, change is found. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. And in time, this too shall pass. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. Jerry Petito taught the class. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. Loves the answer, the greener grass. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. One day at a time, free at last. Well, everyone who knows me out there knows I was an addict and a dumbass 30 years ago, guys. But this month on the 27th, I will be celebrating 30 years of being a smartass. My book, I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. I'd rather be a smartass than a dumbass. Guys, if anyone out there is struggling with anything, I'm a health coach, I'm a nutritional health coach, I'm a recovery coach, guys. If anyone out there is struggling with anything, health needs, addiction, their families, please reach out to me. All my services to you are free. Having said that, guys, I want to introduce a legend. That's right, you heard me right here on RTR, a legend. Norman Knight, say hello to everyone. Jerry Petito, the Jersey Jewel. I have a question. Are you a pearl, a ruby, a diamond? Which jewel are you? Okay, baby. So (laughs) I am a turquoise. My birthday was in March. I'm a beautiful blue turquoise. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) So how are you? I'm wonderful. It's always a a pleasure to talk to you, you know, especially like this on a Saturday to hang out and uh, talk about our favorite subject, rock and roll. You are quite the legend. Let me tell you something. Um, You know, I always say on RTR I was born too late because I grew up loving, of course, Elvis Presley. I mean, come on. And rock and roll and doo-wop and oldies. And here I am now speaking to you. Are you kidding me? Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, I felt the same way when I came to New York and uh, I was always a fan of the rock and roll music. And then when I went to CBS FM in the March of 73, I had an opportunity because of living there and doing my show for CBS FM. I had a chance to be able to become friends with so many of the people that I listened to as a young man growing up in the 50s on the radio. So the people that uh, I bought their records and all of a sudden they became friends of mine. And it was just a an amazing thing to be able to hang out and have dinner with or sit and have them up over my place and say, wow, listen, look at who I'm with and everything else. So it was the same thing that got me. You know, things happen in life where all of a sudden you go through a period and you don't realize it, what you're doing, and then you realize that you've accomplished some things and people are very, very uh, glad that you did. And for me, it, 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 it's been a labor of love. It's been a journey. I, I, I had no idea that it would wind up the way it did, but the, the 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 pieces fell into place the right way, and I was able to accomplish a lot of things. And when I look back on it, I say to myself, like in the movie, it's a wonderful life. They said, George Bailey, you've had a wonderful life. And <laughs> I look back on it, and I say, that's the same thing with myself. Yeah, that was so cute. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I want to give a shout-out to some people because... All right, we've got Steve, one of the owners. Stevie and and, and Angel are the owners of RTR. And Stevie is in chat room. And I want to give a shout out to RTR because without Remember Them Radio, we would not have this platform right now, Norm. And this platform is um, the most incredible one I'm on for oldies and, you know, legends like yourself. And I'm just on cloud nine when I do these interviews on RTR. So I want to thank Stevie and Barb for that, Angel for that. And here we are with you. Um, We've got Mikey the Baron of Bayside who remembers you well. And he's in the chat room. And China Ina and, you know, Baba Lou, my front guy. And they're all like 
loving you. And DJ Pete is in the chat room. Um, oh, wow. Yep. But I got messages from so many people. Alex Augustine, he's probably going to show his face as well. He shared you and said he cannot believe I'm interviewing you and oh, just wow. loves you, you know? Wow. Yes. Um, oh, that's flattering. That's, that's really something to hear that. You know, that really means an awful lot. An awful lot. Well, because, you know, you do these things, you go through your career, and, and you just hope that some, some, some way, somehow, you've touched some people's lives. You made them very happy. You put a smile on their face by some of the things. Because the, 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 the cards, letters, or phone calls, or things when I meet people, they say, you know, I was going through a tough time, and, and listening to your show, or reading your book, or doing this, if it got me through it, that's that's the payoff. That's the thing that makes you feel good. You're right about that. Well, I just want to let you know, I got messages. This ad, the ad I put out for today's show and this show is going to be shared all over the world. I have oh, wow. Limpy from Australia. I have Ellie from um, Ireland. I have AJ from Australia. Um, wow. We have Shirley from Hong Kong. We have Anthony from the UK. They are sharing the show and they are all listening. So they, listen, you have made an impact on so many people. Let's, let's play a really cool, uh, fabulous fortunes song. And then we'll talk about (laughs) everything. Cause I just want to have some fun with you. Here we go. Okay. All right. wasn't long ago a new beat began to grow it swept across this land that was known as we learned to do the jitterbug the bunny hop the bob and stroll we began to feel the early beat of a song called Locally because of the Moondogger, Alan Free, Joe Finan, Vic Wilson, Pete, Mad Daddy Myers, Johnny Holiday, and Jerry G, just to name a few, that good old rock and roll music. It was a very simple beat. It really made you move your feet. It wasn't long ago that everyone grooved on. I know you all recall the greatest days of all when dancing was the thing and everyone would play and sing. There was a time for leather jackets, peg pants, and loose weight shoes, bobby socks, ponytails, and Dick Clark's record review, record hops and soda shops, custom cars, and record stars, that good old rock and roll music. Rock and roll is here to stay. You always feel it when they play. Simple song that said so much that good old rock and roll music. All right, baby. You know, I had all that. I always said I was born too late. I would have been. I would have had a ponytail, a poodle skirt, my blue suede shoes, and a black leather jacket, baby. <laughs> you know, listening to that song, it just brings back that was fifty years ago. And I gotta, I gotta tell you a little story behind yep. that. And in nineteen seventy-one. I was in Cleveland working at a radio station with the legendary Don Imus, okay? Yeah. Don came to Cleveland from California, and we became very, very good friends. And uh, he used to tease me a lot. He used to tease me about the fact that with my Norman Knight, he said, oh, he's related to Jeannie Knight that had Mr. Big Stuff. He's related <laughs> to Sonny Knight that had Confidential. He's this, he's that. He used to tease me. And then when he would, he would play some songs, he would say to the people that I was in the group, I was this, I was that. So he would tease me all the time. 
And and so I got together with a fellow in, in Cleveland, Lloyd Hugo, and he said, you know what, why don't we, he's always saying that you're singing this, you're doing this, you're doing that. So let's, let's put together a record and, 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 and have some fun with it. So we, we did that, and the radio station decided to do a Norman Night Weekend. And uh, I must got on the radio, and he started telling people, and people thought with the fortunes, that there was a group called The Fortunes that had You've Got Your Troubles, I've Got Mine, and a lot of other songs like that. And they all, a lot of people thought that I was part of that group. This was a fictitious group that we made up and everything else like that. So we put the record out, and uh, Don Imus kept playing, plugging it and playing it and everything else like that. And a lot of people uh, believed in the things that he was telling them about me, which were all erroneous. But uh, they, they, they believed that I was actually a singer, which I was not. And, uh, and it was just a lot of fun to do. But that was, goes back to uh, 1971, 50 years ago. Well, DJ Pete says he was so looking forward to the show and interview because you were one of his favorite DJs growing up. Wow. Yes, okay. And, you know, you brought up Cleveland. You know, um, let's talk about Cleveland. You did something amazing for Cleveland, didn't you? Well, you know, this this is my homage to the city of Cleveland. You know, I I, I was born and raised there, and of course, I, I I left I left Cleveland really in '61 when I went off to college. Then I left uh, when I was in the military in '65, and then uh, eventually I went to New York in '73. Uh, of course, I returned to Cleveland uh, to 20 years ago. But the point of it is that uh, one of the things that I was very very interested in is in, in 1985 I got involved with. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in New York, and uh, and it was a very very exciting thing when I was there to be, and it was all because of singer Leslie Gore, who who brought me into this whole thing. Had it not been for Leslie Gore, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would not be in Cleveland. Period. That's all I can say about that. She was a delight. When we when we first met when we did the uh, Mike Douglas show, uh, which was a national show on January twenty second, nineteen sixty eight. Bobby Darren was the co host and. Uh, Leslie was on the show, and I met her, and, and we became friends. And then when I moved to New York, I had her on my show many times. And then in 1985, she contacted me, and she said, we're going to have a meeting about a Hall of Fame. And I went to the meeting, and that's a long story there. But to, make, to, to, to end it, uh, I, I, in earnest, wanted, wanted to get involved with doing a, something about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because what I did was all the times we had meetings and everything else in New York and talked about it, and these people in Cleveland, when they found out I was involved, they brought me to town, and they wanted to find out if I could work with them on bringing the Hall of Fame to Cleveland. And I kept uh, copious notes and everything uh, that went on. So about uh, eight years ago, my, my nephew and niece here in Cleveland, they kept saying to me, Uncle Norm, why don't you do a book about the Hall of Fame? I said, I don't know if anybody would be interested. Oh, no, people want to know, why is it in Cleveland? How did Cleveland get the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? So I said, well, all right. So... Uh, Six years ago, I, I, I came to New York to be able to pitch the idea, and uh, it, we were going to do the book with Time Life, but then the person who was working with me on the book, she was let go. She was the managing editor, so I came back to Cleveland, and I found another publisher, and I got to work with a real talented writer by the name of uh, uh, my, my good friend, Tom Farron. And, and, and Tom worked with me on the book, and then I got a, a wonderful lady by the name of Janet McCoskey who took terrific pictures through the years. And I called up my good friend Stevie Van Zandt, and I asked him, I said, Stevie, I said, listen, I would like you to write the foreword to the book. So all the pieces fell into place, and we worked on the book. I worked on the book for six years. Wow. And finally, in September, September of last year, the book came out. The unfortunate thing for me was the fact of pandemic, because in the past, I've had... Eight other books, the Rock On series. Rock On was the, my very first book. Rock On came out in November of 1974, and then after that there was Rock On Two, Rock On Three, Rock On Almanac, and all those books did well. Why? Because I was able to go on the Today Show, I was able to go on the Dinah Shore Show, MTV, all the shows I did, and we got national write-ups in the New York Times and all the places. But because of the pandemic, the book really it, it really hurt sales. So now what we're going to do to be able to kind of like reboot it, the induction ceremonies are going to take place here in Cleveland October 30th for the first time in a couple of years. And we're hoping to be able to uh, do a push uh, with, the, with the book with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in October 
and, and, and push it in November and maybe get back on some of the national TV shows once again and talk about Cleveland, talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, so that's what I'm hoping to be able to do. But the book is called The House That Rock Built. And the subtitle on that is How It Took Time, Money, Music Moguls, Corporate Types, Politicians, Media Artists and Fans to Bring the Rock Hall to Cleveland. And it's published by Kent State University Press. So I'm really excited because I'm working with a brand new uh, person at the Kent State University Press who was working with me. Uh, and uh, she is, 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 is a delight who's, who's working with me on being able to uh, promote the book, a marketing person, everything else like that. So hopefully we'll be able to put this whole thing together and, uh, and, and make it happen so that people can get out because I'm very proud of this book. And all the people that have read it and seen it or anything else like that, uh, I get a tremendous amount of response because all the people in New York and all the people in Cleveland got behind it, all the top people, to make this book a reality. And, and there's, there's three reasons three reasons why I want this book to really be a success. Reason number one is because Leslie Gore, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but she is the reason why the Hall of Fame is in Cleveland, and I want to make sure that everybody knows that. Number two, I want to be able to pull back the curtain on New York and Cleveland and get the people that involve in the Hall of Fame making it happen. They get the due recognition. And finally, Northeastern Ohio fans that in January 20th of 1986 in USA Today, they they did a, they signed they did phone call polls, 110,000 calls to say why they wanted Cleveland, and they signed a petition, 660,000 signatures. So it's an homage to to uh, thank the fans of Northern Ohio. So uh, and and the biggest thing I got to tell you, Jerry, for me, here's the here's the whole bottom line about this book. Okay. What this book is for me is this: it cost 92 million dollars to build this Hall of Fame. First, but $199 million was annual economic impact on northeastern Ohio. Whoa. 12 million visitors, that's 80% of them, come from out of town. $2 billion has been generated for Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, the economy. In 2018, we had 570,000 visitors. $127 million annually spent by Rock Hall visitors. 1,800 jobs were created, almost $60 million in wages, and finally, $36.5 million economic impact when they have an induction ceremony. So for me, it's dollars that I was able to do something that for my hometown in northern Ohio to create jobs and be able to put money into the economy. That's the reason why I'm so happy about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Cleveland, finally, like... Uh, it, you know, you have signature cities like the Space Needle in Seattle, Eiffel Tower in Paris, Statue of Liberty in New York. Well, now we have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And on the Internet, they said out of the 50 states, they were talking about what's the most photographed thing in each state. And in the state of Ohio, the most photographed thing is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So everybody knows about it. If you haven't visited, you do yourself a favor and come to Cleveland and see it because it's an amazing thing. But my, my delight is the fact that I was able to have uh, a pivotal role bringing something like that to my hometown and that's my uh, uh my legacy that's amazing i had no i don't think anyone out there has any idea that that was the cost mm-hmm. those numbers are unbelievable yeah but it's all about the dollars because and then people will say well how come cleveland got the rock and roll hall of fame we see a lot of cities wanted it new york wanted it New Orleans wanted it, Memphis wanted it, California, Chicago, Philadelphia, and they all had a reason for having the Hall of Fame, but it all came down to money. And and, and when you were trying, the Clevelanders worked so hard, there was a guy by the name of Mike Benz who worked so hard at putting things together for this whole project. And when you have people working diligently to be able to make this a reality and to raise that kind of money, that's why Cleveland got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the enthusiasm from the people in northern Ohio. Like I said, when you get 660,000 people signing a petition, right. you know, and, and, and get a, when they had the poll, USA Today wanted to do a telephone, a telephone poll in January of 1986, and they had all the people call up why they wanted the Hall of Fame. Cleveland got 110,000. I think the next one was 3,000 in Memphis or something like that. So they, they, they blew everybody out of the water with, the, with, with what they wanted to do. So the thing of it is the... Uh, the people of, 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 of Northern Ohio showed why they wanted it. They worked very, very hard at making it happen. And, 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 and that's the reason why we have the, uh, 
the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm very, very proud of the fact. And, and I just want people to know that this book is 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 is, is, is something that uh, and and the people that, like I said, that that uh, are out there going for the book and everything else like that. You have no and, and you know what? And in just reading, just reading the foreword of uh, of, uh, of Stevie Van Zandt, what he wrote, which was such an unbelievable thing, and then looking and seeing. Well, well, how how he treated Alan Freed at the beginning, uh, and talking about him and his and his father. In fact, his son Lance Freed, who by the way, has celebrated his seventy fourth birthday yesterday, and wow. I was in touch with Lance. But Lance Freed was, was his dad getting homage because he was so responsible for the birth of rock and roll, and and, and it just meant an awful lot to me to be able to. Uh, to, to highlight these people and give these people the due recognition that they that they deserve. Well, your legacy is going to live on forever. I mean, even Stevie is saying you are a true legend, and you are. And what you've done for the Hall of Fame, none of us knew that. Um, I mean, that's a beautiful, incredible story. Now it means a lot to me as well. Because if you don't know the history behind something, you just think, oh, that's cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if you don't know the history behind it, now that I do, now I'm really blown away. I'm going to be talking about this. This is well, unbelievable. They, you know, they, 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 they like, and you know what? Here's, here's another thing about the story about the Hall of Fame, which you have to share because, you know, when pe- when, you know if you believe in a project, you know, yes. like you, uh, you, you, your life and everything else, and you know when they tell you never take no for an answer? Right. You know when you hear that line? Okay. What happened with me is, after we had meetings in Cleveland, they, they flew me into Cleveland in 1985 because they wanted to find out. Because they knew we had a, a, a Hall of Fame going at the very, very beginning, which was Ahmed Erdogan and all the top people in New York, Jerry Wexler and John Hammond and all the, all the, the major players. Uh, they, they had a, the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation was founded in, in uh, I think it was 83 or 84. And we were working on the Rules and Nominating Committee. All we wanted to do was have, at the very beginning, have a, a, an induction ceremony, and they were going to do a, a once-a-year induction ceremony and highlight the people. They had no dreams of building a major Hall of Fame. So when Cleveland found out that this was going on, they flew me in and asked me, listen, we know you're on the Rules and Nominating Committee. Would you be able to uh, convince these people to at least consider Cleveland for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame site? I said, sure, and I flew back to New York, and I got together. I'll never forget, in May of 85, I walked into the office of Ahmed Erdogan from Atlantic Records, this chairman who was a very, very prominent person in the industry until he passed away a few years ago. Uh, Ahmed, I sat with him, and I said, Ahmed, would you consider Cleveland as the site for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And he said to me, absolutely not, because Mayor Koch has promised us a brownstone on 42nd Street, and what we're going to do, we're going to have our inductions every single year. And we're going to put some plaques on the wall and show. Because in New York, with being what it is, you could never do what Cleveland did in the building size and everything else. You could right. never do that. So anyway, <clears throat> if I had said, well, Ahmed, thank you. I got it. If I had stood up, <laughs> shook his hand, walked out the door, called Cleveland, called my friend Mike Benz and say, Mike, I, I pitched the idea, but it's nothing. Guess what? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a, is a brownstone on 42nd Street. But at that moment, I saw the window of opportunity closing, and I said to myself, you know what? I can't. So I said, Ahmed, consider the fact that Alan Freed did the very first. And here's another thing to consider. Do you realize that next March, March 21st, 1952, it'll be 70 years when Alan Freed did the very first rock and roll show the Moondog Coronation Ball at the Cleveland Arena. That's crazy. And that was the birth of rock and roll. <laughs> this coming March will be 70 years That's that crazy. rock and roll was born, and everybody should pay attention to that date. It was a Friday, March 21st, 1952, at the Cleveland Arena, when they had the dominoes on the bill, and they had uh, so many other acts that, that, that were there for, for the very first rock and roll concert. So my point is that... It's very, very important that we're recognizing the birth of rock and roll in Cleveland. So when I told them all these things, I said, it's a neutral city. It's not like California that you have uh, the surf sound or you have in New Orleans a certain sound or Memphis. I said, it's, an, and it's between Chicago, Detroit, Mich- and uh, Pittsburgh. So I must have hit the right button because he said to uh, his uh, executive uh, person, 
Susan Evans, he said, Susan, when's our next meeting? And she said, July 18th. So he says, put Norman's, Norman's name on the board, and what he's going to do, he's going to bring his people in, and they're going to pitch it. And we, we, we flew in, and that's another significant day, July 18th, 1985. July 18th, 1985, our group flew into New York to pitch the, the people of New York about the Hall of Fame, and the pitch was so good and so strong and so powerful that Ahmed Erdogan at the end stood up, he went and he, he applauded, and the the people, Susan Evans and the people there, one person whispered to her, I guess we're going to Cleveland. And and But my point of this whole story is this. If you believe in something, never, ever take no for an answer because on that fateful day in May of 85, if I had taken the answer from uh, Ahmed as no and turned around and walked out the door, there would not be a Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio. That is incredible. I'm like giggling here because I'm listening to you. And I'm like, okay, let's tell everyone out there. How old are you? Come on. Me? Yes. 80. Okay. So here you are, Norman Knight, 80 years old. Think about everything you've done in your lifetime and the impact it's made on everyone out there, including me, and I'm only 60. You were doing things before I was even born, and I know about you. Think about that. That is so ridiculous. It's like Elvis's legacy, right? Little kids want to be Elvis for Halloween. I mean, think about it. So what you've done, you've impacted the entire world. I mean, and you know what's funny? I'm a New Yorker. I was born and raised in New York. I'm, I've been in Jersey for like 50 years now. But I'll tell you what, I'm really happy it's in Cleveland with your story. <laughs> well, we have the room, but you know, think about this. Think about this, Jerry. Because again, if you look at the size, first of all, it's on the lake. It's a beautiful location, <laughs> and everything else. But they have it's, it, it's so big, and and now they can expand. They're going to be expanding things, everything else. Like that. And again, you could you could never never do something like this if you uh, were in New York City. Right. Because, you know, what, what real estate costs. And first of all, where are you going to park? Where are you going to go? Right. And if you want to go to visit the Hall of Fame, you want to pay $700 a night to stay at a hotel That's right. in Manhattan or anything else. But here you've got uh, plenty of places to stay and everything else like that. And, it's and you know, and in nearby Cleveland, we have 30 miles away. You have the Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. You have a lot of other things that people can come and see. So it's all here, you know. So, so the point of it is that uh, it, it, it's, it's a great opportunity for people to be able to come to Cleveland, and they, they uh, when they do come into town, they all say the same thing. They say, "Man, what a city! What a place! Everything else." So you you have you have to do yourself a favor and and, and come to visit. Well, that might be one of the next places. I've been all over the world, but it's really sad. I haven't been to too many places in our country. My my goal was, since I was in my 20s, to travel the world. I even went to Russia when it was communist. had machine guns pointed at me over Rocky. Really? Oh, yes. I've been all over Asia. I used to go for a month at a time. I had I was very blessed. I had um, my cousin worked at Lenox Hill Hospital, so we went to all over Asia and... Um, Russia through a health tour. So that's how we were allowed in there. Um, but it was amazing. But my point is, I've been to a lot of places in the U.S., but I want to get now all over the U.S. And Cleveland will probably be one of my first places I go to once I start traveling again. Because this story is incredible to me. Um, let's talk about your legacy on broadcasting. Let's talk a little bit about that now. So, I mean, you, you've done so much. Okay, let me ask you this. I ask a lot of my DJs these questions and a lot of entertainers from back in the day. I know you can't answer it exactly. Give me a few names of highlights of people you've met over the years and maybe someone you never got the opportunity to meet that you wish you could have. Well, you know what? Excuse me. What I should send you, which would have been very, very helpful to you, I have a, a really nice brochure that with the pictures and everything else. Of so, because I, I sometimes I look at it, and I am amazed. For example, when I had an opportunity to sit down and spend time with Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Okay. And here's the guy that, from 1948 until 1971, had the biggest and most popular Sunday show on TV. Everybody was on that show, and everybody got their break on that show, from the Beatles to Elvis to everybody, yes. you know? 
So to be able to go to his apartment at the Delmonico Hotel <laughs> in, in 1971 and sit with he and, the, and his wife and everything else, that was amazing. Having an opportunity to hang out with John Lennon when he saw my, my, my book in 1974 and he wanted to be able to get a copy and sit and, and talk to him about rock and roll and everything else or the Bee Gees or have an opportunity to talk to you know, singers like Sammy Davis Jr. or Tony Bennett or... Or, or uh, you know, these are all people that you've sat down, you've interviewed, you've had an opportunity to spend time with. And, and, and when you look at the list of people, you know, sometimes you just can't believe it that, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's the who's who of the entertainment industry. And, 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 and it's just, it just amazing when you look at the, at, at the pictures and, and, and to see the names and everything else of some of the people that you had an opportunity to be able to deal with. It's uh, you know you, you have to sometimes pinch yourself because a lot of times I'm <laughs> I'm watching a movie on TV or anything else like that and I say wow I spent time with that person or I met this person or I did this or I did that and, and that's the thing that really gets me. So that's what I'm talking about, like Ed Sullivan. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, how many people can say that they were right. invited to his home, his apartment in in, in right the, 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 you know the, to 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 sit down. And, and, and he sit down in, in his, his apartment with uh, he and his wife and, 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 and be invited. And here's the guy who's the biggest, was the biggest thing on, on television. And to be able to interview him. I mean, <laughs> come on. I mean, uh, huh. you know, then become friendly with Dick Clark and Wolfman Jack and all the people when MTV first broke on TV in 1981 and have a chance to meet with all the VJs from there and, and they were, you know, that's another thing. When you look at my books, my very first book that I wrote, Rock On, who did the introduction? Dick Clark. The very next book, uh, uh, Rock On 2, who did the introduction? Wolfman Jack. <laughs> Vol- volume 3, the, the MTV generation, all the MTV VJs that were popular at the time did the introduction. And then when you have this book, who did the introduction? Stevie Van Zandt. So, so why do these people put their name on something if they didn't believe in you and, and, your, and your product? Because no one wants to put their name on something that's going to be a loser. You know what I mean? So, so the thing of it is I was very, very blessed. And all the, all the things with your books, that, and, and, and then, you know, I you had an album out uh, on, on Columbia Records. Uh, and had the cover of my uh, which was amazing, came out in 1975. And the uh, and that was that was great. And also, I I narrated an album on Laurie Records called Rock and Roll Evolution to Revolution, which was the history of rock and roll. And I used uh, little clips of all the different uh, songs from the period. But it's on Laurie Records now. Laurie Records, the same label as. In fact, I teased Dion about it because uh, Dion recorded, of course, for Laurie Records, and my album was on Laurie Records as well. And then Dion went over to Columbia Records, my album on Columbia Records as well. So I said, Dion, we were both on the same label, uh, uh, Laurie Records and Columbia Records, you know. And then, you know, like I said, then, then I was in this movie, Joey, that a good friend of mine uh, did in 1985, Frankie Lanziano. Yeah. Frankie Lanz, and, uh, and we, we did that movie, Joey. Yeah. And, and, you know, so you, you, you've been, you know, and then you work on, on in New York on CBS and NBC, and then you had a chance to do... Uh, all the, all these national television shows and so many of them no longer exist but but you got the videotapes of when you were on with uh, Tom Snyder the Tom Snyder show when you were on with uh, the Dinah Shore show when you were on like I said uh, so, so many of these uh, other TV shows that the, you did the, uh, the the Today Show five times and you know and and you look back and you say to yourself wow look at all the different things that you had an opportunity to do. You know, in, in in all the different categories, all the different places, and, and and that's that's what's amazing. And and you look back and you say to yourself, "Wow, that you actually spent time with some of these people." Or when you went to to Graceland and meeting all the people from from Elvis's group, yeah, and, and hanging out with all those people. And then when I went, it was cool when we went to Hawaii, and we went to Kauai, uh, where he uh, when he filmed Boo Hawaii, and uh, they they were all in Kauai, and to be able to be the same place. Where he did uh, the scenes where they're where he's singing uh, the Hawaiian wedding song and uh. riding on that raft and everything, you're, you're there at the same place that he was in the same uh, uh, cottage that he stayed and everything else like that to travel around, you know. So th- those are those are the memories that 
that you get. And those are the things that you think about and you say to yourself, wow. <laughs> so Amazing, you, you know? never got to meet Elvis? No. Okay. I, I, I saw him in concert. Okay. You know, uh, I was like, a, uh, when he came to Cleveland in 71, I saw him in concert and uh, you know, at, a, at a distance and everything else like that. But unfortunately, I uh, was never able to have a chance to meet hmm. him, you know. Yeah, me neither. Yep. Unfortunately. So everybody's sending you love and hugs. Karen in chat room is sending you love and hugs and everybody's loving you. Um, a, a shout out to Big Doggy. He joined us and a shout out to Joe Contorno. He's in chat for you as oh, well. Oh, Joey said That's yeah, right. his birthday's coming up. There it is. Uh, Happy and, birthday. Know, August, 16th, August 16th. Oh. You know, his birthday's the day that Elvis passed. Oh. You know, it's interesting. August 16th. Who passed away on August 16th? Babe Ruth passed away on that date in 1948. Uh, Bela Lugosi passed away on that date in 1956. Elvis passed away, of course, on that date in 77. And Joe Contorno was born on that date. <gasps> well, and now I'll August never 16th, forget Joe's 15th. birthday, huh? Yeah, and he, he, will, he will be celebrating his 75th birthday. Oh, happy birthday, birthday, baby. Oh, so, thanks for sharing that. So, so when you... When you, when you uh, uh, think of Elvis and everything else like that. Think of you'll remember Joe. I will always now remember Joe. Oh, I love you, Joe. <laughs> so, all right. So let's talk a little bit about this because this stuff is just so cool to someone like me. You know, I mean, all right. So WGAR in Cleveland AM, you were on WMJL. You were on WCBS, WNBC. I mean, you were on so many. What was... I know it's hard to answer some of my questions, but did you have a favorite, or were they just all great? Well, you know, well, the the, the thing for me, I, I would say that the the, the one that uh, made, made the biggest difference to me was uh, coming to do, uh, work for CBS FM. Okay. And I, you know, I, I got to tell you, people say, "How did you get to New York?" You know, indirectly, Little Richard was responsible for that, <gasps> and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. When I was working in Cleveland. I was running around doing a lot of interviews, and I put together a show called The Honor Roll of Hits. And that would be, I'd go and interview somebody, and i put together a one-hour special, and we wanted to, I wanted to do it on my own and offer it to radio stations around the country. Well, they only had about six stations. I had a station in Canada. I had a couple of stations and places that were running the show. And I, what I had to do at that time, because the shows were on a 10-inch reel of tape, I had to take these to the post office, and in these big boxes, you know, it's not like the discs or CDs or any, or you can do it on the internet. I had to send this to the, the, the various radio stations. And one of the stations I wanted to get the show on the air was a station in uh, Philadelphia, the CBS affiliate in Philadelphia. So I, I remember calling the radio station to talk to the program director, who was John Guerin. And I talked to John. I said, hey, John, listen, I'd like to be able to know if you would run my show, The Honor Roll of Hits, on your station in Philadelphia. He said, you know what, I got your uh, uh, tape and it sounded good, but I'm leaving. I'm going to go to New York to CBS FM in New York. I said, oh, really? So he went and uh, I, 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 then I looked in Billboard magazine and I saw that in March of 1973, there was a... Uh, uh, Richard Nader was doing one of his rock and roll revival shows at the Madison Square Garden, and one of the headliners, or the headliner, was going to be Little Richard. Wow! And I had a, a one-hour show on Little Richard, so I went and I called up John Garrett and I said, "John, listen, I got this show on Little Richard. Why don't you, the, the concert is on Friday? Why don't you run it on Thursday, the night before? If you like the show, then you could sign up for the for." running it on a regular basis. If you don't like it, then, you you know, one, one, one shot is not going to hurt. He says, yeah, that sounds good. So he sends me a check for maybe a couple hundred bucks. It was nothing. And what I was so excited on the fact that this show was going to run on CBS FM on a Thursday night, I took the money. I bought an airline ticket. At that time, you could fly round trip for about $70. I booked myself at the Americana Hotel on 6th Avenue. I flew to New York, and I sat there in the room on that Thursday night at 10 o'clock, and I turned on CBS FM, and I heard my one-hour special, and I was so thrilled. Uh. I'm on the air here, <laughs> Richard's special in, in, on CBS FM. The next day, I called up John Guerin, and I said, hey, John, I listened to the show. He says, 
I was, I says, I'm in town. He says, you're in town? I says, yeah. He says, well, why don't you stop by the station? So I swung by the station. I sat and I talked to him. And he says, uh, hey, listen, uh, are you uh, available? Next week, uh, our all-night guy is going on vacation. And would you like to sit in for him to do the show? Uh, and I said, yeah, of course. I, I'll, I'll do it. So I called up my boss in Cleveland. I said, I'd like to take a, a week's vacation. And I went and I went on the air. And after three days, uh, John Guerin called me. He said, listen, would you like to have that show as, as a regular thing? I said, absolutely. So uh, I, because of that uh, Little Richard special, because of the thing, I wound up getting, and I started in March of uh, 1973 on CBS FM. Oh, actually April, because March was when I uh, but the, he, he signed me up to, to, to do the show. And I, and I was hired to do the all-night show, but after a, a month and a half on the air, there was a guy who was working 6 to 10 by the name of Bobby Wayne, and Bobby was let go, and they put me in that time slot. So in May of 1973, I, my, my gig was working on CBS FM from 6 to 10 p.m., and then I did a show on Sunday nights called The Night Train Show where I brought in the different performers and, we had an opportunity to play doo-wops and do interviews like with Dion or, or Lieber and Stoller or Kirk Benton and all the different uh, people would come in. There were guests on my show on Sunday nights, and that's where I did a lot of other interviews with some of those great performers at that time. So that's amazing. Alex Augustine dropped in chat for you. Um, and, you know, we all know Alley Boy, baby. So he's, like, known everyone as well. And, you know he was one of the ones that were very impressed that I was getting this interview. So that was a compliment to me as well. So, yep. He's, he's in chat for you as well. Um, and DJ Pete, he just said something really cool. You know, he's only 35 years old and he said for his age, he learned so much from 1997 till now listening to the oldies. And he's even got the books written by Joel Whitman. That's how he learned so much, but he's been listening to you and going and backtracking so that's amazing, too, at 35. I mean, it, everyone loves you and knows about you, and your legacy will never, ever die. Never. Mm. Never. So well, that's, that's important because, again, you know, we're all in this business, and, and we all want to make a mark and everything else, and, and, and we want to be able to do something that, uh, that is meaningful. And, and you know, the, the, the one thing which is interesting about us being in this business the real, real uh, interesting thing is the fact that um, what you have to realize is that if you're in the arts, okay, a little bit of you gives to live on for perpetuity after you're gone. You know, because Shakespeare, you can still remember Marilyn Monroe because mm. of her movies, Elvis because of his music and movies. So if you're in the arts, you know, your your people will be, so that's why we're lucky to be in this profession because People will record the shows and do things, and everything else, and they'll remember you. Look, we can look at. I can listen to air checks of Alan Freed from 1952, and remember him, and everything else like that, and so many other performers. Right. And those things it makes all the difference in the world. You know, it's amazing. You're right. How can people get your books? Tell everyone. Give well, them the info. Well, the, the, as I said before, first of all, like I said, I, I want to be able to. I want to be able to uh, mention. Uh, very, the girl who's the Kent State University press marketing and sales manager, her name is Julia Wiesenberg. I want to give Julia a, a, yep. a shout out because Julia is going to work diligently on being able to get the word out on my book. But Julia Wiesenberg, is, but it's at Kent State University Press. All you have to do, all you have to do is either go to my website, which is normanknight.com. That's N-O-R-M, middle initial N-N-I-T, normanknight.com. Or go to Amazon.com and punch up The House That Rock Built. And there it is. So The House That Rock Built, Kent State University Press, uh, on Amazon.com. Or go to my website, normanknight.com, and you'll see all the information there. And in fact, if you go to my website, you'll see all the pictures. and There's a lot of the interviews and shows that I've done and everything else. It's all there so people can check it out and see what's going on. But that's the best way to be able to uh, find out. Well, Alex Augustine says he's got two of your books. You autographed them for him at your apartment in New York. <laughs> wow. Okay, how about that? 
back in the day. So he was stalking you, I think, right? <laughs> yes. Good for you, Alley Boy. Good for you. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, well, this this is so delightful chatting with you like this, Jerry. I uh, tell you, this is you know, it's like uh, me doing a. Again, that was fun. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah! I tell you, you know that was it had, it had a similar flavor to uh, Surfer Girl. Yes, you know. So, but uh, but again, my feeble attempt at singing—that's <laughs> why I can appreciate so much more the uh, the people that are great singers. And again, you know, Jerry, again, this has been such a delight chatting with you and talking and everything else. And I hope that we're able to uh, share some interesting things with the, with your listeners and everything else like that. But uh, this is a a delight to be able to do. Listen, you made my day. You've honored me with this interview. Come on, Norman Knight. Give me a break. This was, (laughs) I was so excited and it finally came and here we are. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes to say anything else you want to just share with your fans, anything, a word of inspiration, anything you'd like at all. Well, the biggest thing I always tell people when you, when you listen to shows, everything else, you know, a lot of us, we think that we know it all. We, we've, we've been, but I've always remembered the line that says, uh, it's what you learn after you know everything that counts because every time somebody like myself, I, I, I think I've heard it all and everything else. And yet I listen to someone on the radio or something and they they play a song and say, gee, I never knew that this was recorded by so-and-so. I never, so we learn every, something every single day. So just have an open mind and, and just, I, I, re, I remember this in life to, to the, the mantra should be aspire to inspire before you expire. <gasps> I love that. I so, love that. So, so, so go through life with trying to do good things and trying to be able to help people and trying to be able to uh, enjoy the, 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 the gifts that you were given and to be able to just uh, do everything you can to keep this music alive because again uh, you know you have to eventually pass the baton on to somebody else to be able to do it but the important thing is that this we, we it was it was a great era of music that we all grew up with from the 50s to the 60s to the 70s everything else like that and 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 to be able to reflect back on it and be able to expose it to other people and be able to share it I mean, we've been very, very fortunate, and like yourself and your position and what you have to do, to be able to put people on the air, enlighten your fans, 
to be able to know something more about that person or that era or whatever the case may be. And the biggest thing is, like I said, I just hope that uh, somebody will uh, look into the book that I've, I've, I'm so proud of. And I've done eight other books, but this one I'm the most proud of, believe me, The House That Rock Bills on Kent State University okay. Press. Go to Amazon.com and or, or like I said, or, or, or go to my website, normanknight.com and check it out and see. Uh, and I guarantee you that it, once, once, it's, a, it's an easy read. You could do it. it could, the book, I think, is only 170 pages. And it's got some beautiful photographs, a lot of great stories, everything else like that. But you'll learn about this wonderful institution, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you'll learn why it wound up in Cleveland and why Cleveland's not such a bad city to come out here and check it out. And this was the place where Alan Freed kicked the whole thing off in 1952 by playing rock and roll, rhythm and blues records and uh, exposing uh, all of us young teenagers to this wonderful thing called rhythm and blues, which later became rock and roll. Amazing. So it's just been a wonderful journey, and uh, I thank you for giving me this opportunity to share with your listeners. Amazing. Um, Karen's ordering your book, and she will because she's ordered mine, and she did. She t- So you have that. Also, one last question for you. Um, Pete's asking, do you have uh, any plans on doing another radio show down the line? I don't know because, you know, been there, done that. Okay. Because, again, at this point in time, uh, at 80, you know, you just be grateful for every day. Right. And, you know, it, 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 you know, we'll leave it to people like yourself. Okay, I love you. I'm going to share one of my poems with you because you keep talking about your gifts and talents and sharing them and all that. In my book, I have a poem I wrote called Utilizing Gifts and Talents, and I'd like to share it for you, Norm. Okay. We are born with talents, we are born with drive, with different gifts to help us thrive. I knew early on I was born to draw and paint. I also write poetry and to talk without restraint. Our gifts and talents should all be used. God's gifts to us not be abused. We can go far in life for sure, using our gifts to go on tour. All our talents should be used to create ourselves and more. Then our jobs to share them, to even up the score. You see, in life, what's needed is not just for ourselves. Once our gifts are mastered, take them off the shelves. A living we can make by spreading them around, not just for the money, to spread a peaceful sound. Don't take for granted the gifts you're given. Go out and spread the joy. Our gifts are not to be held back for us to self-destroy. Put your efforts forth. Do not hesitate. All your talents, my friend, are never second rate. Never hold them back or you will surely die. Maybe not in body, but your soul will cry. Our gifts were made to share, our talents made to soar. Go through life enlightened and then you can roar. Be proud of who you are. Be happy you're alive. Once again, my friend, your gifts will help you thrive. By putting efforts forth, not keeping them at bay, your name will live forever, forever and a day. Go through life excited for what you sure can give. To yourself and others is our reason to live. Our grave will be quite lonely, but our legacy lives on. Make sure people smile with the breaking dawn. That's for you, Norm, because your legacy will live on. Well, thank you. That's beautiful. That's really, really, really well done. Thank you so much for that. You're and, welcome. Uh, and all I can say, Jerry, is... Rock on. Rock on, baby. I want to thank everyone out there listening. I want to thank everyone in the chat room. I want to thank RTR once again for this platform. But most of all today, I want to thank my incredible legendary guest, Norman Knight. You made my day, and I will never, ever forget this interview. Thank you so much, sir. And thank Thank you you for your service. Thank you for your service as well.